With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. So welcome back to Macklin's Take. It's another Saudi Fight Week special. We brought you one already and we did say that we'd be back on Sunday with another one, but... An invitation was extended to us by Matthew Macklin's unbelievable boxing connections uh, to do another one today. And we're in the hotel, the fight hotel, just next door to where the weigh-in will be taking place in about two or three hours. It's been constructed at the minute, the stage, uh, and it looks very, very smart. Uh, Myself and Mr Macklin went off to a gala banquet last night where Anthony Joshua made an appearance, shook a lot of hands and then disappeared. Andy Ruiz did the same thing. Uh, Just an update on Macklin. But before I do this, I have to say he is the most reliable athlete I've ever worked with. But he's had a total nightmare in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he, he missed his flight, um, as we know. And then uh, he, he managed to take a sleeping pill last night. Uh, and then there was a power cut. So his alarm didn't go off. And his phone ran out of battery. And he WhatsApped me this morning. I didn't about, miss anything. <laughs> he WhatsApped me this morning about half past ten in a blind panic. I think it's, it's messed with his equilibrium, that one, that one error. Because it is very unusual for him. It's very unusual. Uh, but anyway, enough of that. Uh, our guest today is Rob McCracken. Uh, Rob, thanks very much for, for finding the time in what is obviously a busy week. Um, yourself and... You've probably got some brilliant Macklin stories, actually. He's, he's reluctant to tell them, but you and him go, go a long way back. Yeah, I'm, I knew Matthew when he was a kid. Um, he should have been a world champion. Everybody knows that. It's well documented. He clearly beat Felix Sturm, uh, in my opinion. Um, and most people's opinion but um yeah you need a bit of luck in professional boxing and and possibly the best middleweight for the you know for a long time we've had in the uk but didn't didn't get the luck it didn't go his way and um fought at the top for a good number of years but you know let's be honest he should have been a world champion he does say sometimes that he flitted around a few different trainers and uh, it probably would have been better for him if he'd, if he'd managed to find one that he could have stuck with and that if he could have had his time again, that one would have been you. Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear. I, di- I didn't realise that. Um, but yeah, I knew Matthew when he was when he was young. Um, I know his dad as well, Seamus, great bloke. Um, and they didn't live too far away from where I was from. Um, but 
I think when you're young, you do listen to a lot of people, and you, and you know you sometimes get distracted, and you you, you know you want to go other areas and go other places and stuff, and maybe work with with different people and stuff. But yeah, I think uh, looking back on it, he's probably the one boxer I'd like to train that I didn't. But he went on to do great and worked with some really good trainers, and I'm sure they did a great job with him, and he you know he became a real top world class fighter. So in terms of that, Matt, I remember you saying a while ago when we were up in Birmingham with, with John Pegg and, uh, and Peter Buckley and, uh, and Frankie Gavin that that when you were coming through, the, the one big-name fighter that the city had really was him, was was Rob, and, and Birmingham was kind of a, a slightly tricky place because the the standard of sparring and things like that maybe weren't quite there, and that's why the likes of, of, of you two kind of looked outside of, of that bubble. Well, in Birmingham, growing up boxing, there was you were constantly told of all these people that could have been. Do you know what I mean? There was uh, I didn't want to be a could have been, and there was uh, a couple of good brothers, amateur boxers called the Ramses, Mark and Paul, that boxed for the same club as me, Small Heath. Robert Rob would have known them; they boxed around that same time, but um, they never really did anything as professionals. And the only one really who was boxing on television and was ranked at the top of his weight class and everything in. <clears throat> around that time from Birmingham and had been for a long, long time was Robert. And he'd been on his own really because there, there wasn't really a flock of fighters. You know, like Manchester had an era of lots of great fighters in the one gym or, you know, Sheffield and Naz and Ryan Rhodes and lots of other good fighters. That, ne- that never really happened in Birmingham. They had good individuals on their own. Robert, then, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, me. Then, you know, a few years after that, you had Frankie Gavin. And I think he never really had that sort of Swan song, of, you know, a lot, a lot of fighters coming together as a group, and um, yeah. So, so really, I suppose when I turn, yeah. So, anyway, as, as an amateur, I started sparring uh, Spencer. I was seventeen, and a guy called Tommy Cheney, who actually trained um, Frankie Gavin, said to me, "It started coming up." Tommy had started coming up Small Heath, helping out, and he said, "Look, uh, trying to get down and spar Spencer McCracken." I was talking the other day, and I could do a bit of sparring. I said, "Yeah, yeah, definitely." So I remember going down. And I was like, you know, 17, trainers, didn't even know. I had boxing boots, but I didn't know I ever trained in them. So I just got in with trainers, got some gloves, had a gum shield, and borrowed a head guard, and, you know, did, did well. You know, uh, you know, held my own, and uh, they invited me back, and uh, kept going back, kept sparring. And um, they, they just said to me then, Don Argerson was a guy who was kind of running the gym for Paddy Lynch, and Tommy at the time said, you, can, you know, you can use the gym when you want. Uh, we used spar with Spencer, so I kept sparring with Spencer, uh, Roy Rutherford as well, Anthony May and I ended up joining, and uh, I, I trained there. I ended up training there completely for the last two years. Of my whole amateur, uh, you know, as an amateur, I, I was boxing there and um, you know sparring with all the pros. I didn't, I, I, the only amateurs I sparred in that two-year period was when I was down at Crystal Palace. Um, so I've done a lot of sparring with Spencer, Roy, Anthony May, and like I say, and uh, yeah, and then I was boxing. I was on the England setup anyway, which was not Sheffield back then; it was Crystal Palace. So, you know, I'd be sparring down there. And I knew I was going to win the ABAs, you know, but I thought I was going to turn, uh, I thought I was going to stay amateur. You know, I'd, gone, I'd literally gone from the World Junior Championships, my first senior bout as an amateur was for England in Norway. Then I won the ABAs and I boxed in the Acropolis Cup. <coughs> and during this time, I'd have been close to Robert. I, like, I'd have rang Robert. When I was in Greece, I remember ringing Robert saying, yeah, yeah, I won today and boxing this guy in the final. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a bit of a... Mentorship, I suppose, and he would go, go do this, don't eat that, blah, blah, blah. And um, I just thought that then, then, like I said, the Commonwealth Games meant to be the year after and the Olympics two years after that, but which time I would have been 21, 22. And then I thought that's when I turned pro. But then 
Um, Robert's friend, Robert's friend at the time, McKennessy, had a crop of fighters: uh, David Walker, Lee Meager, Leo O'Reilly. And then Fratcher just won the bronze at the Worlds. I didn't go to Worlds because it hurt me hand in the ABAs, but you know I, I was kind of a standout fighter in the ABAs. And um, the, Mick had done a deal with the BBC, or BBC were looking to get back into boxing. They'd followed, they'd done the ABAs, they'd done the World Championships, and it was kind of said, "Look, do you want to turn pro?" And I was like, "Oh, a bit out of the blue," because I was thinking I'd me kind of next year planned ahead for the amateurs, and then it was like, "Yeah, maybe." And then uh, came down and met uh, with Mick, but at the time. Then Paddy Lynch came around my mum's house and said, you know, if he's turning pro, he doesn't want to go pro with uh, Mick Hennessy. He wants to go with Frank Warren. So I ended up having a meeting with Frank as well. And I just remember being caught in this, like, didn't know what to do, really indecisive. Is this is, is this around the time, it would have been around the time that you were, were you down at the Lennox Lewis Centre at yeah, this I, point? Yeah, I think... Um, in Clapton in East London, yeah, I should I specify. I think if my memory's right, I think Matthew was young. He was about 18 at the yeah. time. I think he turned pro really young. But... Um, it's difficult. It's, it's an impossible decision to make when you've got a bit of interest in you when you're a young kid turning professional. And, you know, I myself, when I turned professional, I, I went with Paddy Lynch and Tommy Lynch, who, who I'd known since I was a kid and, and were, you know, did an absolutely brilliant job for me. And, I'm, you know, I'm still close to them now. But um, Matthew's decision was, was really difficult. He was 18 years of age and ultimately he's got to make the decision. So um, he, he, I think he chose to, to turn professional with... Frank Warren at the time, and um, I think Paddy was Paddy, Paddy, and, was, and Tommy were going to look after him coaching wise. wasn't too far from where he lived, so it made it made sense. Uh, if you, if you look back at it, it made sense, and um, he was very talented. So you know, you, you just think he's going to go on and do well. Um, I was training a few pros at the time. Um, I mean, and I are in with what I was going to do with my life, really, to be honest, because I'd stopped boxing uh, probably about a year before. Um, but yeah, he, um, he, he he took off Matthew, and uh, you know he, he he started to get attention straight away, and and he was with the right people, in my opinion, Paddy and Tommy at the time, and uh, you know he was always going to go on to do well. So how did the you said you were umming and ahhing? How did at what point did you kind of like dive headfirst into into training th- and I decide think, it was for you? Uh, yeah, I think um, you think you know Matthew will be the same. Um, you know, you think about when you leave, you'll even be the same when you've been an amateur and if you've been at Crystal Palace or on, or on the program, which is the GB program now. Everybody always thinks, oh, maybe I'd do a bit of coaching, maybe I'd do this, or maybe we could do that, or maybe we could do less training, or maybe we could do more, etc. So you have all these thoughts, all fighters do, and that you know, you think when I've stopped boxing, what I'm going to do, will, will I be able to coach, um, will I be any good at it? And, it, and can I get on with people? Because that's the main thing, if you can work in a team and get on with people. But, yeah, I think it was um, it was in its infancy, me being a coach. Um, I think, looking back at the time that I boxed professionally, I kind of um, should have been in and out. I wasn't somebody that wanted to do it for too long, if I'm honest. By the time I got to about 28, I turned professional, I think I was 23. I think after about five years, the, the excitement and... and enjoying going to the gym had long gone for me so five five years mentally I, w- I enjoyed professional boxing by the time I got to 28 I didn't really want to be a professional boxer I didn't really have a lot of interest in it which sounds a bit silly at the time but everyone's different and, and I just wasn't overly interested in it and um, my hands were sore and my elbows used to hurt so yeah um, it, it wasn't something that I was I was thoroughly enjoying but then you look at other things what you're going to do with your life and, and where you're going to go and stuff so um you know, Mick Hennessy was my mate. Um, me and him used to, you know, 
he used to be involved in the in the in the professional side with me as well. So he, you know, he had a few fighters, and I'd do a little bit and bobs with one or two of them while I was still fighting. And it just went from there, really. But obviously, I was in the world championships in Belfast and saw Carl Froch win a bronze. And um, and then we got talking while we was out there, and it kind of just seemed to take months and months, and went on from there. And Carl was Carl was humming and ahhing as well about whether he'd be a pro or not. He wasn't sure about being a pro. Um, he was unsure, and I know him, Macklin, Matthew Macklin, spent a bit of time in the Lennox Loose for a couple of weeks, and I think they they were they got on really well. But I think they had, they saw things differently in what they wanted to do moving forward as pros, and and whether Carl actually wanted to turn pro or not. But Matthew was was definitely going to be a professional at 18 years of age, and and you know he was definitely going to do well. I mean, it was it was a. What a journey that was with Froch, though. We just we just saw him back at the back at the hotel. He turned up for breakfast yesterday with this T-shirt on, with a crest on the front that said "Carl Froch, World Champion, Established 1977." And that's just kind of that's just sort of him, isn't it? In a way, I mean, he's not he's not quite what people think he is because he's he's really got a sense of humour. He's good, good fun, uh, but he, he but he doesn't mind putting on this kind of image of, of being full of himself, but. I mean, I guess you got you got on with him from the beginning, did you? You know, I got on with him really well. I got on with Matthew really well. I'm quite affable. I can get on with people. Um, but um, I was thinking about Carl the other day. In America, I tend to get stopped by Americans who talk about him. Um, you know, you just wonder if he's as appreciated as as, as maybe he should be. Um, you know, he lost to Andre Ward. Andre Ward's a genius, in my opinion, a fabulous boxer and one of the best. For, in my opinion, for in the last uh, 50 years or whatever. Fantastic fight. But Cole never lost after he boxed Andre Ward. So he'd fight the best, he'd fight at the top. And if you fight at the top and fight the best, you're going to lose at some point. But um, he took it on the chin and he, and he roared back and he never lost the fight after boxing Andre Ward. I thought he had a fantastic career. And you look at the number of world title fights he had and the calibre of opponents he, he fought. Uh, phenomenal, really. So how did the link up with GB come about then? Oh um, well, well, like I said, you always and Matthew will be doing the same now. Matthew might be be doing what I'm doing in in ten years' time because you do you think back and you look at your time spent on the program. Matthew's was too short, you know. Looking back on it, maybe he could have gone to an Olympic Games and won a medal. But um, the 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 contact came from the chairman at the time, who was Derek Mapp. Um, Derek Mapp was a very successful businessman. Uh, done really well and was involved in organisations and sports and boards and brought in for his expertise in, in lots of areas. And um, he gave me a call and asked me to, to come in. I knew the boxers. Kevin Icky did the role for a short time. I think Kevin had been in the BOA for about 20 years. And um, he came in to kind of oversee it as it started up. But I don't think he was going to stay for a long time. I think he was... Hopefully, you'll pardon me if so. I think he was, he was. I think he was seventy at the time, and, and probably, it probably wasn't what he really wanted to do because it's full on, and there's a lot of commitments with the GB boxing job. But um, he asked me to come up and uh, could I go out to the to, the, to our, in Ireland? They were training for the World Championships. Got to tell him what I thought, and you know, he was my coach when I was an amateur boxer at, at Crystal Palace for England. Um, I had a lot of respect for him, so I popped over and Khalid Jafai was in the in the squad. He was a local kid who went to the same school as me, 
and um, and boxed for the same club as me as well. And there was a couple of other the young boxers that I knew, so I popped in and out a couple of times, and I, you, you get to know them and stuff. But then I was I was in London for about four or five months, and I wasn't able to get up. And then the call came out of the blue from Derek Mapp. I think he'd spoke to the staff and some of the boxers. And he wanted to change things and, and see if we could push it forward. And he gave me a call out the blue. I think it was about a week after Carl Frotchard fought Andre Durant. I mean, that's been, you know, I follow the amateurs really closely. I, I think it's, it's, it's such a sensational standard of boxing, top amateur international boxing. And it's uh, the setup that you have there now in Sheffield is fair to say pretty much unrecognisable from, from the one you boxed on at Crystal Palace both of you absolutely <laughs> that, that lodge in Crystal Palace you know the beds we're staying in here <laughs> that, that, those lodges you should have seen them they were terrible but they were uh, but they were good times as well I remember I remember like I said I was close to Robert at that time and I'd always kind of tell him what I was doing how I was progressing what fights were coming up what training I was doing and everything and I, I, I always, and he was very right at the end of his own career then um, and I remember like you said then I could tell that you had completely fell out of love with boxing and long fell out of love with it but I could tell when I was telling him about my journey that he was kind of reminiscing as I was telling him and I could I could tell he was really fond of those amateur memories would you say that's a yeah, fair yeah no it's without, without a doubt it's, I enjoy, you know there's no I have, I have no secrets about it I love boxing but my preference is amateur boxing uh, Olympic boxing now as it is is is, is the same scoring system as professional. It's it's phys- physical as well as technical. Um, you go away to the World Championships in Russia with the men and, w- and the women, which we did recently. Prior to that, the European Games in Belarus with the men and, and the European Championships for the women in Spain. And uh, the standard's just so high. You've got Uzbeks, Russians, Kazakhs, Cubans. It, it's such a difficult sport. But the beauty of it now is it's, it's, it's the same scoring system as professional boxing. So all elements are allowed. You, you know, you've you got to be able to box. You've got to be able to fight. You got to be able to control the pace of the back. Whereas in years gone by, it had become computer scoring, and it probably wasn't wasn't the spectacle that it should be. And the boxers, I don't think, probably enjoyed it the way that they do now. It's it's a real challenge for the boxers, but um, it, it's a spectacle now, and um, it, it's 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 been good to be part of of what's happened at GB for ten years, help drive it as as I've tried to, and, and get some great people in to, to make it happen. I remember when I was turning pro and we, one of the conversations when we were, we were talking about it and I was thinking, well, you know, I'm only 18 and I've got the Olympic Games and this and that. And the other. And you were, I remember you saying to me, yeah, but with the four two, your style in the 4-2 minutes, you're just going to become a better amateur boxer. You're not going to become a better boxer. And then I remember you saying there was a guy called Ivan Robinson who was the, the, as good an amateur as you've seen. But by the time we turned pro, he'd had that many wars fighting as an amateur in these top tournaments he was half burnt out um, do you remember that yeah I, I think I think everybody's different I think um, when everybody turns pro it, it, it's it's it should it's got to be right for them and I think some people Carl Carl turned pro mid-20s because physically and mentally he didn't think he'd be ready he got it dead right Matthew was a little bit more robust and 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 driven at the time around boxing I think Carl was sort of dipping his toe in and out whereas Matthew was was totally dedicated and and loved the sport so I think their journey Matthew's journey in the professional started at 18 Carl was virtually 25 so there's a big difference in age when they both turn professional but 
Um, there was no doubt about it, but that both of them were going to become top fighters, whatever age they turned professional that. And they're both going to be kind of some top professionals because you can just see the ability and the physicality in both of them. They, but they had what you need to make it in professional boxing. What's interesting now too is that you mentioned the scoring system, and it was just before the World Championships in in Almaty in Kazakhstan in 2013 that they took off the headguards and they changed to the to the ten point must. And I think the IEBA scoring system is actually better than professional boxing because. A knockdown doesn't necessarily mean that it's a 10-8. It's all about interpreting dominance, and we seem to talk endlessly about scoring at the minute. But anyway, my point was that given that that change of scoring, you get fighters now turning pro, and with WSB, which unfortunately isn't going at the minute, uh, you get fighters turning pro moving really quickly, like Filip Hergovic on, on this card, for example, had loads of WSB experience. Yeah, and, and we have boxers at GB who did, some of them have done 20 WSB contests, which are ball sense and purposes professional bats against Russians, Uzbeks, Cubans, Kazakhs, who are professionals anyway. So, um, yeah, they're well equipped to turn professional now. Most of the top um, Olympic boxers or, or amateur boxers, whatever you'd call it, a lot of the GB boxers, and you look at the number ones, and let's just look at the men, for example. Um, some of them, you know, the, we went to Russia recently, World Championships, the men that won the medals, had, one had been there 10 years, one has been at GB six and a half the other box has been there five and a half. So all of the boxes have been there a long number of time were the ones that came out with the medals in, in for the men in the men's side and, and the experience they get, the training camps they do. They go to Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, you know, Russia, all over the world to do these training camps. So they're pretty resilient, robust, not just boxers, characters as well, and they have a total belief in themselves. And I'm in Russia on a Friday night watching... Ben Whitaker, Pat McCormack, Fraser Clark and Peter McGrail boxing in front of eight or 10,000 Russians and the Uzbeks have got about 2,000 in the crowd with the drums and they've got no, they're not phased remotely. They just go out as if it's a national championships and that's been nice to see over the, the last decade that that sort of mentality, is, is, I, I think, has changed for the better. Oh, 100% because you, you look at the amount of medals we're winning in European championships. Meddling in European championships still is really hard um, but we never used to get any. We used to get very, very few. The last couple of Euros, we've had six, seven, eight, eight medals, which is, you know, it's, it's extraordinary stuff. And obviously it was at the GB setup that you, that you started coaching Anthony Joshua. I can almost hear people in England listening to this just, just kind of thinking, why is he not talking about Anthony Joshua against, against Andy Ruiz with Rob? But I wanted to get into some of that first because um, I love it. I love following the amateurs and, and, and the GB setup. And, of course, that schooling he had there was, was, was fundamental to, to his success. Yeah, I mean, I met Anthony in, in October 2010. Him and Anthony Fowler, Anthony Joshua and Anthony Fowler turned up the same time for... Uh, they'd been through ass- assessments and they'd been brought onto the programme and they both wanted to know why they, why they wasn't selected for the Commonwealth Games in Delhi I told them both that they didn't have the experience they didn't understand that because when you're young and you've won the Nationals you think you can fight anybody but there was a couple of heavyweights in Delhi um, that were very experienced um, there was also a couple well two or three uh, Anthony Fowler's weight 69 at the time Callum Smith was selected at 69 funnily enough for that tournament but yeah they both wanted to know um, why they wasn't picked which was in a nice way I explained to them why they wasn't picked and we had Kazakhstan in that week and they both had a bit of a torrid time inspiring with the Kazakhs because you know they're vastly experienced and, and I remember that week Anthony Spardichko who we went on to beat in the Olympic semi-final 
and um, struggled with him and Fowler had a nightmare with Sapiev but you know um, you've got to start somewhere at that level and, and both of them were were committed and, and, and willing to, to get on with it and it, it, it just went from there and obviously uh, Anthony Big Josh as I call him has um, has has really gone for it and has has, has done things very quickly and, and has believed in himself and the one thing I noticed with him was, was that he believed and when he drew the Cuban in the Olympic Games still a relative novice 30, 34 bouts or whatever he'd had it, was, it just didn't it wasn't even a conversation and it, I thought at the time he's not really aware of, of the levels and, and who he's up against because he was more interested in what was happening that day and what time we was eating and stuff whereas one or two of the other boxers kind of knew what they were up against and uh, weren't overly happy with the draw and, and Anthony who had the hardest draw in my opinion was as happy as Larry Yeah you look at this he, he, was, he was accelerated that international amateur career wasn't it because he went to the Europeans um, lost to Mihai Nistor in the Europeans lost by a point to someone who's on the bill tomorrow night uh, majored off in the in the World Championships in Baku in Azerbaijan so yeah the world final I was there it was sitting in this in there 2011 um, yeah I mean f- brilliant for him uh, I, t- I, t- I took Josh um, for the experience really to be honest he was still a, a, a relative novice 20 something contest uh, I remember him beating um, Camarelli who was Olympic and world champion and I was watching it with my heart in my mouth just waiting for it to go you know, wrong because this doesn't work. Twenty odd bout fighter in against the world Olympic champion, who was phenomenal, and 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 Josh beat him in the world championships, and then just kept winning bouts, and and then you kind of look and think he's he's got something here, that, you know, and it's probably going to come through quicker than we thought. When I first looked at him, I thought he might be might be a prospect for Rio, but then once we took him there, and just, then we took him the the box side. And he beat the Uzbek and the Russian. He beat, beat Kuzman in, in, in a small ring in the final. I thought he's got something, you know, he's really. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! This is so crazy! Got something. So when he went to, when he went to turn professional... How did that conversation go? Because was was uh, you had Froch when you took the GB job, so that was already an existing thing. Was it was it politically difficult to? Yeah, I think I think yeah yeah. I mean, I my advice to him was to you know stay and go to Rio. I mean, he, he, if you look back, it was October, it was October 2013 when he made his professional debut. So it was over a year, well well a year and a good bit after um, he won the gold in London. I wanted him to stay for Rio. I, I thought he'd be double Olympic champion and then, you know, you could have a shorter pro career and you'd go in at the top and you'd have four more years experience of boxing, you know, Russians and Kazakhs and Uzbeks. So that's what I wanted for him. Um, I told him to speak to whoever, you know, gave him a call who was interested in him. He spoke to everybody and um, he was 
at the GB setup. He was still there. We were trying to retain him. And then I think you know London life and the cost of it and you know the, the momentum probably wasn't what he wanted. And he then he chose to turn professional. And you can understand why Olympic champion heavyweight. It's a no-brainer really when you look back at it. But we nearly kept him for the Rio cycle. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but, and the, but your chain of thought's not wrong either. You think, well, if you go, what would he have been then? 25, 26 after Rio. As a heavyweight, he's still young enough to turn pro with all that experience. And like I say, another, if he'd won another gold medal, it's even bigger again. But it, the journey, I always say the journey's the journey, isn't it? You do, you make the decisions what you make at the time. And, you know, that's the way it goes. But he's, like, you couldn't really argue with that. He's, he's gone, he's been pretty much, but, but, you know, his last fight, it's been pretty much a, a perfect career, hasn't it? Yeah, and, you know, if you say he stayed at GB and went to Rio, he'd have, he'd probably have 20 fights and be out of the sport. But it's, you know, the, these fights against these these top fighters now with the scoring system equip you for professional boxing if you're a man, for sure. And um, it would just make your professional part of it a bit shorter. But um, there's always a strategy to, to what the fighters do. Um, you look at Pat McCormack now who, who won the silver in the world championships that was his third world championships in the previous two he boxed the gold medalist so you know you look at the vast experiences he's gathered and you know he's got Tokyo on the horizon trying to qualify but I'm sure when Pat turns professional and he will like all of them um, that will stand him in really really good stead and he might have a shorter pro career and, and achieve what he needs to in a shorter number of years Pat, Pat Benson my old amateur coach who Rob knows well uh, at that time when we were speaking to him said to me you know the way amateur boxing has gone now with the four twos and the computer scoring system it's actually becoming a bad apprenticeship for professional boxing but that's not the case now is it you know the world series of boxing they fights they're like they're, they're like it's like semi pros isn't it but the time they turn pro they've already had they've gone past the four and six round level fights yeah, I mean, you look at some of the lads who are, who are moving really quick. You know, World of Boxing moves them really, really quick. Shakram Gearsoff, um, Murajon Akhmadaliev, they're moving very, very fast. Back at it, Jalilov and Israel Madrimov, who've, who've turned pro. The, the, the Uzbeks have kind of been the last the last Aiba powerhouse to fall, almost, haven't they, in terms of their fighters turning pro. So it's going to happen more and more and, and more. And one thing we talk about quite a bit, Rob, is, is when you do move quick, and Anthony did move quick, uh, and you were advising him before you took took the role in his corner. I think I think Klitschko was the first fight that you were you were actually. No, Molina was Molina was the the first fight. Molina, Molina was sorry. Molina was the first fight that that I did Anthony's corner. But look, the Klitschko fight was was a year eighteen months too early for 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 Anthony in my opinion. But it was one of them where Klitschko was at the stage in his career. Um, where he probably wasn't going to hang around long, and you know the, there was there was pressure for a good number of months for for Anthony to box him. Anthony asked me my advice. I was dragging it out as long as I could because I knew how good Klitschko was. Albeit he was forty at heavyweight, that's not that old anymore. Especially with somebody with his ability and power. More importantly, he's a monster puncher. But um, you know you, you look at it and then you try and make the best decision you can. For the fighter who's asking your advice, and um, I told him to take the fight, and I I believed he could do it, but he couldn't make mistakes. And obviously, he made two or three on the night, but fortunately, he came through. So, what's it like as a as a trader when you're in those kinds of situations where you've got someone who is maybe moving a bit quicker due to due to other influences than you would like them to? Because once you kind of once he won the world title against Charles Martin, I guess that was sort of inevitable. Because once you push up through that bottleneck. 
there's no go back in, is there? No, there's no turning back, and I think you know. Let's you know. Let's be brutally honest. Um, you know, boxers turn professional to to make money. Um, if if there wasn't money in professional boxing, they'd all be at the GB program, traveling traveling the world, having a great time with the teammates, and trying to achieve you know something in life at a young age and go to olympics and have the wonderful experiences that the program gives you and you jump in the minibus if you've lost the bout and you plan on on winning the one you know the next week whereas in professional boxing you know you know losses are hard to take and and the stakes are high especially at at world level so um you know it's it, it, it's more than a sport professional boxing it's a business as well whereas i i hope to believe that gb boxing is an out and out sport and and they you know the, the camaraderie is brilliant the, they thoroughly enjoy it. You got you got Lauren Price now. We're talking about physicality. She's she's 69 kilos. She boxes 75 kilo girls at middleweight because of her speed, and but she's physical enough to to handle them. Girls that are twice her size. So you know the game's changing all the time. But certainly, if you want, you know, enjoy your your career and 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 have a nice time and and you know be part of a team, then uh, Olympic boxing is your ticket. If you if you want to trying to you know make money um and try and become a world champion then professional boxing's your ticket uh, and particularly if your ticket has got gold medalist from london 2012 at super heavyweight when you're british on it you, you have to stamp that ticket don't you there's, there's not really much else you can do i mean it's the, the pressure that came with that was always going to be uh, a big a big factor you i mean you two professional with 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 a pretty big fanfare but i mean can you even imagine the kind of the kind of weight that's on his shoulders at times Anthony. oh yeah I mean yeah like I, I'd be kind of expectations of myself and you know I've got a good deal and all that turning pro and I was ABA champion at 18 and I had a professional style of stopping people but you know Andy Joshua being a London gold medalist at a different level isn't it and I don't think he's um, I don't think he's he's made a bad move in his whole career it's been pretty perfect really the way he's gone everything uh, the whole team you know from his training set up he's uh, the job that Eddie and a matchroom have done with him it's, it's been brilliant the, the, he's, a, he's a superstar um, the only thing that the only blemish on it is that loss in New York which he gets the, the chance the opportunity to try and put right on tomorrow night I mean it's, and the anticipation going to the ring is going to be unbelievable isn't it because I mean I said to you earlier that I think it's a great thing that he, he looks lighter I thought he was too bulky his last few fights I think he's, he's a lot better focusing on the boxing training as he says he has and, and hopefully that all comes off well but it's none of us know what's going to happen until that bell goes it's uh, you can only prepare best you can and then it's it's all down to what happens on the night Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. What's it been like the last the last few months? I mean, if we go back to the point at which the Jarrell Miller fight fell out of bed and you had to find a new opponent if you kind of take it from from there yeah I think like it's the scrutiny around around Big Josh has just been off the chart I think uh, there's world title fights with big names month in month out in the world of boxing people win people lose but you know the backlash and the scrutiny around around 
the, the last fight and certainly this fight is something else. I've not seen it for a long time. I was involved in it. Um, you know, Anthony took a lot of criticism and I took a lot of criticism. But unfortunately, you know, when you're in professional boxing, you know that there's, you know, that you're going to get that at some point. You've got to have thick skin. Even even the boxers that are winning all the time are still getting criticised. Um, you know, it, it's 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 an industry where you know you've you've got media, you've got people with agendas as well that that you know it helps them to criticise. Otherwise, they're irrelevant in some cases. So you know it's going to come. In you know, Anthony's a different kind of kind of fighter to, to what we've probably seen for a long time. Where you know your mum loves him, your your daughter, your, your sister loves him, your daughter loves him. You know, if I had a pound for every every mum or aunt or nan who's asked me can can I get big Josh to pop round and say hello to him I'll be, I'll be, you know it's you know everybody's he's very popular the people like him and then with that comes the, the, the intense scrutiny you get bo- non-boxing fans that follow him you know you know the, I wasn't silly I knew that if, if every lost that you know it would be well that's not supposed to happen and then then what comes with it and that was the reality of what came with it which was People you know, point the fingers, don't yeah, they? The blame yeah. game starts. Yeah, and I, th- and I was fully aware of that when the journey started. He looks a certain way. I had this conversation with a couple of professional boxers that I've known for a long, long time, and I said, "Look, you just going you've got to. Ex- he's a heavyweight. Heavyweights are different, and he's also looks the way he looks, and and he's charismatic, and people really like him. So, you know, you've got to be an attraction in life. If you can sell out an arena." And then you can do that quickly in your in your, your pro infancy. Then you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to get a lot of exposure. And that's what's happened with him. I think sometimes one or two of the lads were disappointed because they probably thought they'd be on the same journey. And and it's not going to happen because you know he's he's got star appeal. And yeah, he lost the fight. I, I look at things with common sense. I spoke to Macklin, uh, Matthew Macklin ten minutes after he'd Anthony had lost in New York. We was in the changing rooms. You know, it's a very difficult sport. World heavyweight title boxing. Um, you know, you're always one shot away from disaster. You just got to take it on the chin and try and come back and, and give a much better account of yourself and a stronger performance. But yeah, the scrutiny was huge because of the exposure that AJ's had. I, I believe. I remember one thing you said to me a while ago, Matt, was that you know when you had setbacks in your career you, same thing you, you expected you expected criticism you expected people to turn a little bit maybe the press not generally will because they're, they're going to go for whoever's popular uh, what you didn't really expect was you'd get the odd kind of snarky remark or comment from people who you thought were maybe would have your back who, who you thought you'd read it and think oh, just mm, that's a bit disappointing I mean that's that's the nature of the beast, I guess. And you must have had plenty of that too, I suppose. Well, I don't. I'm from the. I'm. I'm I, I think I'm 14 years older than Matthew. I think Matthew was 18 when he turned pro, and I'm pretty sure I was 32. So I, I've I've always known what what age he was and stuff. But I'm not from the social media generation, and and I've got a phone. I do emails. Yeah, I'm just not in the social media world. I never have been. So. You'd get, you know, you do someone I'm, ring I'm, you I'm up. I'm behind the times with that too, by the way. I've got, I've yeah. got a bit of a dinosaur, really. Yes. <laughs> so you, but you, 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 look, you'd get, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, it was, it was a big disappointment, and and Anthony was really disappointed, and I was as well. Um, but you get people call you up um, a few days after the fight. Oh, the, you know, a couple of 
on some radio station that there's criticising you and Big Josh and it's getting me annoyed and stuff. But I'm just I don't really take any notice of it. It's just when people who who you know who are close to you, it bothers them. That's where that's where it's a bit disappointing. And it's, and certainly with 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 two or three people who who, who certainly had agendas uh, from things gone on in the past. You know they were the first to criticise and and unfortunately they're the ones that seem to get gather the headlines on it and you know where it's a a fan who's disappointed you say yeah well you know it, it is what it is we'll try and do better next time but you know you know it is what it is yeah I mean I, I can guess who one of them was I think most people listening can guess I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into it another former unified British heavyweight champion of the world who also won an Olympic gold medal could have been him possibly he was somebody who had plenty plenty to say tomorrow night is huge and here we are in Saudi Arabia, which is not somewhere we expected to be for this fight. But then it all, it all happened quite quickly. What have the last few weeks been like? What's this week been like? We've been kind of, we've been, we've liked what we've seen from Anthony. What he said to us at the fighter meeting, it was, it was good stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gave it a hundred percent. You know, the public are listening. He's gave it a hundred percent. He's left no stone unturned. He's trained as hard as he could. He's been as dedicated as he could, and he's going to do everything he can to get them belts back. And that's all you ask for. Level playing field. You know, they both know they're boxing each other four or five months, four months in advance, so they can prepare accordingly. So that's all you want in in bo- in professional boxing for sure. You want a level playing field where. You know, the best man will win on the night. Anthony's in great shape. He's, he's prepared really well. We had really good sparring partners. So, you know, the better man will win. And in terms of Ruiz, uh, I think one thing that's been quite interesting is that when, when, when an unexpected thing happens, there's, there's a bit of a temptation to, to do two things, really. It's to say that the, the fighter has lost, uh, isn't as good as everybody thought they that the isn't as good as everybody thought he was, but also to elevate the one that wins to a status that maybe they're not quite at either. And people have kind of made Andy Ruiz out now to be this this wrecking machine. My opinion is he was probably, it's a bit in between. I think he's, uh, I think Josh had a bad night. I think the, all the talk of Wilder Fury is human. I don't care who you are. It takes your focus away subconsciously. You still sparred there's many people say you have to be professional of course you're professional it's not like you've been on the the piece for a week do you know what I mean you, that when they say you've took, you took your off the ball you've been in the gym you've trained just as hard but there's just that bit of an edge missing when and uh, you know they pulled a stroke as well announcing the the Wilder Ortiz then on the Friday announcing the Wilder Fury it did take everyone it took our attention away and we, we were told we, we're working on the fight we're not in the fight and you know I think for, there, there was a bit of that and I think Ruiz He's a better fighter than what everyone was because aesthetically he doesn't look the part. Everyone looked past how good of a fighter he is, you know, how good of an amateur he was, how good of a fighter he's always been. He'd only lost that one fight against Parker. So I think there was a little bit of both going on in, in, in that fight. And as Rob said, you know, now all you can do is prepare to the best of your ability. And I think that Joshua is definitely the pre- prepared to the best of his ability. And that's just me from the outside looking in, but he looks in great shape. I like the fact that he's focused a lot more on the boxing as opposed to the strength and conditioning. He's put that on the back burner. I think that's a, a key thing that he's done well. I think his mental preparation, his focus looks to be spot on. You know, Ruiz now, his confidence and belief is going to be more. He's world champion. I think this is a harder fight. If this Joshua had gone into the first fight, I'd have been all on Joshua. I think he'd 
one million percent. I think this is a more difficult fight now because of what happened in the last fight because of Ruiz's belief is up here. And Joshua will have mental doubts, self-doubt and a bit of demons going on, which he'll, I'm sure he's dealing with. But none of us know how that'll affect him when the bell goes or if Ruiz has a bit of success. Not, none of us can possibly answer that. As you said before, heavyweight boxing, you, you, you've done your thing, you've done the, the preparation, uh, you, you both seem confident, but no one really knows. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is heavyweight boxing, they, you know, Ruiz might not be might be shorter than AJ, but he's got huge power, and AJ's got huge power, they both hurt each other in the first fight, and, and it can it will probably happen again, but all I can talk for is Anthony, and he's, he's, he's done everything he can. He's, he's really committed himself, he's really dedicated himself and he badly wants to win them titles back. He's been sparring well, he's in good physical shape, he's a bit quicker than you'd, you'd, I've seen him for a while um, and his mood's been great. It's like the, the old Josh from the Olympic days, he's been laughing and joking because he feels confident. So it's a fascinating fight going in for the, for, for, for the viewers and, 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 the, and, and the supporters of boxing. It's, you know, it's, everyone will be on the edge of their seat you've got to keep your hands up it's every you know it's big big blows going in and anything can happen at any time but um i'm really happy with where anthony's at i'm happy i wasn't as happy as where he was at this time before the new york fight bomb i'm much more content and happy that he's done everything he can in the camp so what will be will be but he's got a great shot at it okay well we can't keep you much longer your phone's gone a couple of times and we need to run away to a sky meeting but i've got one more question for you just Hearing you talk about all of this and how much you enjoy the GB setup and how you kind of prefer that to professional boxing, obviously it's been an amazing journey with, with, with AJ. But given what you know now, if you knew at the start what you know now as to what it would be like, would you have done it or would you do it again with someone else? I think, I think no, I, I mean, look, if you, meet, if you spend 10 minutes with, with Big Josh... You're going to really like him. He's a genuinely nice person. He really is. And um, I don't know anybody who knows him who doesn't really, really like him. He has people coming from far and wide just to spend 10 minutes with him and see him. Special human being. He's been special for the sport, certainly in Britain. Um, He's achieved unbelievable things. This is his ninth world heavyweight title fight, which is phenomenal at the the level he's at. So for me, I like to think he's a, a special human being. I'm fortunate to have been... You know, uh, and allowed to work with him. Sean Murphy did a fabulous job with him at Finchley. Um, Sean doesn't really get too much of a mention. And then obviously the GB coaches did a great job with him in, at international level and myself. And hopefully I've been able to, to teach him a few things that can equip him well for the fights that he's won and hopefully equip him well for Saturday night so he's just smart enough to get the win and, and stay out of harm's way. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Rob, thanks very much for finding a bit of time for us. The weigh-in's not far away now. Uh, We're both looking forward to the fight enormously. Uh, The nerves will be there. The the tension will be palpable. And the the, the beauty of any sport, but but certainly the glory of of heavyweight boxing in particular, is that you really do just never know what will happen. But we wish you the very best of luck. Um, And we'll be back on Macklin's Take on Sunday when we will know what's happened. Uh, and we will give you a full debrief. So in the meantime, if you could uh, spread the word about these fight week ones, because not everybody will know they're happening. We haven't been able to promo them as much as as usual and and get onto iTunes and subscribe and give us a rate and all that kind of thing. We'll be back in about 48 hours.
And can I? Are you still there? He's still on it. So, so just a quick one on Matthew. When he was younger, he was like legendary at Gaelic football, right? Come on, so Rob. This where, is when I want. was a kid growing up, my so my dad used to take me over to Glebe Farm, and they'd do all. That's where everyone played. But I was, I was, you know, I'm Brummy. I'm brought up in born in Brum. But Macklin's Macklin was the real deal. He was the all conquering, you know, Celtic legend Gaelic football on a Sunday and whatever <laughs> and I've I've asked him to come and play for our Sunday league team in a football match and it's the only time I've ever seen anyone play actual football who had ice skates on he didn't have ice skates on but he was on the floor every two minutes so I always remember that one but he was a red hot um, red hot um, Gaelic footballer red hot <laughs> and hurler Dusty. That was my, I was even better at that. <laughs> well, we need to get some stories about that at some point. I just need to track more people down who are willing to spill the beans on Macklin. It's not that easy thing to do because silenced. he's not going to spill them on himself, you see. Uh, and, and because he doesn't drink anymore, I can't even use that as a kind of tool to kind of prize these stories out. But I will find a way. I Too will many find a way. In my closet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, do, we really do have to let you go. Now, Rob, brilliant. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, and like I said, we'll be back in 48 hours when we will know uh, what has gone down at the Diria Arena? Sports Social Podcast Network.